Uh, well, this is the season of Lent, so it's appropriate that we get to talk about these things for these 40 days. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Daniel, and I'm doing a field education here as a part of my seminary program. Today I'm here to talk about lament. And, uh, but first, I'd like to open us in a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you for your presence with us today. Thank you that you love us unconditionally, that you are drawn to us, and that you want to be with us and experience all the things that we experience. You want to feel our pain and our joy because you love us. Through Jesus, your dear Son, you are able to do this, fully sharing in the sorrow and lament of humanity, spiritually and bodily, even to death. Ah, you share in our pain, O oh God, so please do not let our laments go unanswered, for we know you truly share in our burdens and sufferings, sufferings which are held in the broken body of Christ and in the broken body of his church, our community. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Lament is a very important thing. When we grieve and mourn and cry, it has a profound effect on our body and our soul. Uh, before this, I looked up the benefits of what crying are, and the list included stress relief, improved mood, increased empathy, a sense of peace, improved sleep. But in our society, we often don't give ourselves time and space to cry or to lament. After all, we're busy, and maybe I feel like it's not really that bad for me, or maybe it is pretty bad, but I'm strong, and I can take it. Maybe we think uh, that we've done all the lamenting that we need to do, but really, maybe all we've done is just feel sad. See, feeling sad and lament are two different things. Lament is a physical and embodied expression of our grief. We see this in the book of Lamentations, or the, this book of Lamentations. In the second chapter that we just read, the poet uh, talks of uh, this long lament, talking about uh, all the people who did not shy away from their pain. It says in verse 10, the elders of Zion sit on the ground in silence. When was the last time that you sat in silence to grieve? They have thrown dust on their heads. They put on sackcloth. When was the last time you put on sackcloth? Maybe, maybe not literally, but in some way physically expressing, maybe through what you wear, that you are mourning. You see, we have not been taught how to lament. Ancient Israelite culture was much more uh, proficient at this. They had much more emphasis on lament. As it says in Jeremiah 9, teach to your daughters a lament and to each her neighbors a dirge. So today we're going to teach some lament, not just by talking about it, but by doing it. But first, let us look at the definition of lament. Sweet, all right. Lament is an expression of sorrow or grief based on the recognition that things are not as they should be. For followers of God, lament includes taking this pain to God with a seed of hope that things will change. Lament is the path from heartbreak to hope. I think our society could use a little more hope and maybe a little more heartbreak in the right places. 
So today we're going to be writing down our laments on these little pieces of paper and taping them up on the boards here. And uh, the prayer team will pray for all of these individually later. So there will be individual prayer for these. Um, and if you don't really feel like uh, writing out your laments uh, and uh, they're too personal for you, you can write them still but keep them with you instead of putting them up on the boards. But putting them up here symbolizes the witness of our laments as seen by our community and by God. After taping up your laments on the board, you are invited to light a candle. This candle is a representation of the hope found in our lament, the hope as a part of this definition. It also expresses our faith that God hears our laments. And it is a loving release of our laments, for our laments rise up to heaven just as the smoke of the candle does. Now, lament can be heavy stuff. And in our culture, we don't do a whole lot of embodied practice things together. So this might be a little uncomfortable, and that's okay. But I want to affirm that we are here together in a safe and loving space, and we can hold lament for each other together. Also, this is just one tiny piece of our journey of lament. Some laments can only be expressed on our own with God. And so if you wish to spend any time this morning on your own, feel free to take a walk in the cafe, outside, do whatever you need to do. Now, some of you might be primed and ready to go, but first, I'd like to share some different options of lament that we have at our disposal. For those of you who maybe aren't totally sure of what to lament or are looking for something new to lament, this is for you. <laughs> I'm going to run through five different categories here. And actually, Jeremiah, if you could put all five out there, that would be great. Fantastic. First, our own sin, failures, and imperfections. This is what we can lament. I chose these words intentionally because for me they hold slightly different meanings and connotations and they serve a different role in my own reflection. For me, sin most probably means when I intentionally act against the purposes of love. Failures include also the things that I did unintentionally which led to a bad result. And imperfections are any way in which I fail to love or have not been fully sanctified in the spirit. I think this is a good place for us to start with lament because it is a long-standing Christian tradition and Jewish tradition to lament our failings. Why? Because it keeps us humble, it helps us to see places we can grow, and it's a part of the process of repentance. Taking time to physically express our grief about our failings helps us to take seriously the ways in which we want to change and grow. Every week we say in our confession, uh, we lament our failings. We say we have sinned in thought, word, and deed, and what we have failed to do. This is so important. But there are also pitfalls here. While it is important for us to lament our failings, it is not appropriate for us to obsess over them. Some of us may resonate with the idea of having an inner critic. It's always watching you, looking at you, judging you, saying you should have done this, you should have done that. You're so stupid, stop messing up. That is not a healthy or helpful mentality, and that's not lament. That's an indication that we've become identified with our successes and our failures, 
and are getting our sense of worth from being good enough. When our value is found in being good, then all of our failings and imperfections are like hot iron. We don't want to touch it because it triggers our insecurity. But then this makes it more difficult to actually look at and understand these things and deal with our imperfections. If we can learn to lament our failings properly, it can become a tool for repentance and rapid growth towards God. We must remember that our identity is not found in our failures or successes or our sins or imperfections. It is found in God who loves us no matter what. Let us take a moment and breathe and reflect on this. Secondly, we lament our own suffering. We find lots of suffering in our Lamentations passage. Infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosoms. In the next chapter, the poet laments his own personal suffering. I am the one who sees affliction. Lamenting our own suffering is important for three reasons. It dignifies our suffering. It is, and first, secondly, it expresses our honest protest against the way things are. And third, it helps us to stop clinging to our suffering. This is particularly helpful when it comes to grief. In physically expressing our grief, it helps to loosen that pain that's been stuck inside of us. And naturally, our bodies find ways to release that pain. Lament is the path from heartbreak to hope and often to healing. Let us take a breath to reflect upon our suffering. Third, for others we lament. Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. If I can lament my problems and my pain, surely it must be loving to lament the problems and pain of another. I think we see this most clearly with our loved ones, the people that we're closest to. When they suffer, we feel drawn to lament for them. But we are also called to lament for strangers. The Good Samaritan had compassion on the beat-up man on the side of the road. His heart went out to him. It was drawn to him. And in a way, he lamented for this man's suffering and was moved to do something to change his situation. There is an element of lament in compassion. We are also called by Jesus to love our enemies. Think of someone now who's an enemy of yours. What would it be like to lament for them? To consider all the trials they've faced, the things they suffered, all the difficulties that, they ha that have brought them to where they are now. Lamenting for the sake of another is showing them love. Let us take a breath to reflect on this. Fourth, for society. We lament for society. I think this is the most prominent thing we see in the second chapter of Lamentations. Children are starving and fainting at the head of every street. City leaders unable to give guidance in sackcloth and ashes. Men have been killed by the oppressors or in battle. 
and the old are lying helpless in the streets. There's so much to lament, so many pains in our society. We lament both for our local communities and our country and for the world. We lament that there is war in our world. Gaza, Ukraine, Ethiopia, Turkey, Sudan. There's systems of oppression and injustice, both abroad and in our country. We lament modern-day slavery and trafficking. We lament failures of government and leaders, of corruption and poor policy. We lament our broken healthcare system, our broken school system. We can lament that here in Cincinnati we have a deficient public transit system, a worsening, yes, it's true, amen, a worsening housing crisis, a lack of third places for people to find authentically loving community. There is still racism, homophobia, increasing political division in our country, and a lack of empathy for a variety of vulnerable and marginalized groups. And we lament the rise of Christian nationalism and the many failings of the churches today. Let us take a breath to consider this. Finally, we lament the sufferings of Jesus. Why do we do this? Just as the author of Lamentations was lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem, which was his home, his refuge, his pride, and his joy, we lament the devastation of Christ, who's our home, our pride, our refuge, our joy. Lament of Jesus' sufferings is a natural expression of love for Jesus, just like we're drawn to lament for the sufferings of a friend. And this can also help us to grow in love and empathy for Jesus. Throughout history, contemplating the passion and the crucifixion of Christ has been spiritual fuel for many great teachers and saints. By contemplating Christ crucified, we can learn many things, including insight into all human suffering. Jesus is the archetypal human, symbolic of all of humanity. Scriptures refer to him as the second Adam, Adam being the first archetype of humanity and Christ being the fulfillment of it. You've probably heard before that on the cross um, that Jesus took on all human suffering and all human sin. And so our sin and our suffering and our grief and our laments are in some way placed upon Christ. By gazing at Christ crucified, whether in our imagination or at a crucifix, we can see our own suffering reflected back at us and that of all of humanity. We can start to grasp great mysteries of God's love, a love which can lament and suffer and sacrifice for its beloved. I think the definition of lament itself is most deeply revealed on the cross. Can we pull up that definition again? Lament is an expression of sorrow or grief, the sorrow and grief of the world that was there at the crucifixion, based on the recognition that things are not the way they should be. You see, uh, this, 
The cross was an injustice. For one, Jesus did not commit the crimes he was convicted of. And also, this is an injustice because violence is not the answer, even if it's what empire seeks to use. So things are not the way they should be. For the followers of God, lament includes taking this pain to God. And of course, pain and suffering is most directly present with God here, a God on a cross. And yet, there is present here seeds of hope, the seeds of resurrection, restoration, and deliverance. Truly, I believe it is a transformative thing to sit at the foot of the cross with Jesus' devoted disciples, with Mary, mother of Jesus, with John, the beloved, who rested his head on Jesus in the Last Supper, with Mary Magdalene. You see, these were the people who stayed with Jesus at his crucifixion while many others left him, while Peter was off denying Jesus. These were the people who had a deep and emotional and intimate relationship with Jesus. They didn't just subscribe to a set of beliefs about him being the Messiah. They loved him, and they stayed with him. And we can lament the cross as they lamented the cross. So may we be like Mary and John and Mary Magdalene and not shy away from lament, but look to Jesus as our model and stay with him in the midst of grief and sorrow. Now I'll invite Jeffrey and the worship team up here as we transition into this communal practice of lament together. The prayer team will be in the cafe space. If you would like some prayer, they would love to pray with you. We're going to have maybe 10-ish minutes for this, so you don't have to rush. Come up here at any time to tape up your laments and light a candle. We've got more papers here if you'd like them. No lament is too insignificant and no lament is too broad. You can write just one word on your card or a whole prayer. And you're welcome to kneel or move about as you feel led. So let us lament together and remember what it says in Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. <laughs> 